Have you ever sat down to write copy for your social media, sales pages, or whatever, and felt like what comes out of your fingertips is kind of bland, dry, and just not very compelling? Are you feeling that internal friction that comes up when you know what you want to write, but what's coming out just isn't it? Well, today I'm talking with the one and only Tamara Melton, also known on Instagram as the Storytelling Dietitian. She's here to help us understand how telling stories in our business can boost our connection with our audience, hold people's interests more effectively, and ultimately increase conversions as well. In today's episode, you'll learn what storytelling means in the context of business and entrepreneurship, examples of ways online business owners can and should be using stories, why telling a story can sometimes be difficult for us, and how understanding the elements of a good story can make it a bit easier, and how to tell whether storytelling is having a positive impact on your business. So let's get into it. Welcome to the Unconventional RD Podcast, where we inspire dietitians to think outside of the traditional employment box and create their own unconventional income streams. We'll talk all things online business to help you start, grow, and scale your own digital empire. Hi, Tamara. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I'm really excited to talk with you about storytelling for dietitians. I think that's such a cool thing that you specialize in and something we haven't touched on really at all, I think, on this podcast. So um, before we dive into all that, though, I do like to start with some background on my guests. So could you give us like maybe a higher level overview of your career journey in dietetics, like where you started versus where you are today? Yes. So I'm excited to be here and I will give very high level because I feel there's a lot of twists and turns that happen, but I've been a dietitian since 2007, so about 14 years. Um, I've been practicing at RD and I knew from the jump that I did not want to do clinical. And I'm the type of person that once I'm like, I don't want to do it. I did my eight weeks bid, I call it at the hospital and I was done. So after I did my internship, I knew I wanted to do something that was always outpatient. So when I graduated, um, I did a combined program. When I graduated, I started working um, immediately in community nutrition and nutrition education and then transitioned into corporate wellness, which I loved did that in a large pediatric hospital system here in Atlanta. And then I started uh, my own wellness business called LeCart Wellness, where I worked with uh, large corporations like um, the Home Depot, Georgia Pacific. Um, I wasn't crazy about one-on-ones and I also liked getting wires instead of individual payments. And so that's why I worked with uh, corporations. Um, My husband is an entrepreneur, has been as long as I've known him. So this was around 2010 that uh, he had been hit really badly in his business. He works in real estate with the recession. So with my business, I was kind of like working part time. And he looked at me and he was like, I'm going to need you to get a job, like for real. <laughs> and we were also at that time starting our family. So we really needed some solid health insurance. So I had been teaching part time this whole time. Since I was 23, I've been teaching at a university. So I went to that university and was hired on to do admissions and recruitment for them. So I did that and taught nutrition, then that transitioned into me getting promoted to start a health informatics program, which I loved, had no idea what I was doing, but I love doing things I don't know what I'm doing. What, what is that? What is health informatics? Health informatics, health IT. So it's, um, it is, a, I call it this, they're professionals who are the space between what we call end users. So in the clinical setting, doctors, nurses, dietitians, whatever, right, clinicians, could be patients, and then the coders, right, those developers, 
you know, the guys we think about, I say guys could be ladies too, folks who are like in the basement, like with those black screens, like coding, that's, that's who it is. So informaticists are the people who kind of sit in between. Um, and so I had the opportunity at, what was I like 28 to start this program, which if you don't have what's called a terminal degree, a doctorate at a large level one research institution, you never get this done. This is like never happened. So of course I was like, yes, I'm going to do this because my other option was to transition into becoming the chair of the undergraduate DPD program, which is fine, you know, but that's like, yeah, I could do that at any time. That's the typical path. Let me go do something else. And I learned a ton um, by taking that leap and taking that chance. So I kind of went into the world of informatics for a while. I wasn't practicing in nutrition. So I became an academy media spokesperson to keep a foot in the nutrition world. Um, so I did that for four years. And part of that means that I had to have a degree in informatics. If you were a chair of a program, it was just university requirement. So I went to Duke University's graduate school and their nursing school to get a degree, another graduate degree in informatics. Um, so I did that and I learned a ton there and that really helped me to kind of get to know about data and using data meaningfully and using data to um, persuade and all different sorts of things. Um, so I'm kind of a data nerd um, and presenting data and storytelling with data, which we'll talk about. Um, but I did that for, uh, so I finished up that program and then I'm, I'm type of person where I don't like to be an educator who only knows something like the book smart. I need to actually practice it. So I made the really hard decision because I love teaching and students to leave the university and I went to go work for Compass Group. Um, I was hired on as their director, national director of health informatics for Morrison Healthcare. So I did that as a contractor for a couple years and then also I came on as a full-time employee. So I did that for about, as an employee for about 18 months. I think I was with them for like three years total. And then um, the kind of the, the, the scope of the work changed so it became much more analytical, which is not really what I want to do. So. I transitioned over to their K-12 sector, which is Chart Wealth, um, and I was there, hired on as their wellness of their well, the, a wellness and sustainability project manager was my title, um, and then I was six months later promoted to director of nutrition and sustainability. So that meant that I had um, the duties of still project management for all of our wellness programs, or I should say our sustainability programs within our, you know however many thousands of schools that we had in districts, about 600 or so districts. But then I also had three different regions. So I had some regional dietitians who reported up into my position. So I had some management over operations as well. And then as life would have it, COVID-19 came along and I was laid off from that position. Um, at the time of this recording, about a month ago, so October um, was when I was laid off from that position. But it has been absolutely a blessing because what some people might know me about, know of me from, is my nonprofit that I started amongst all this. <laughs> so as a side hustle, I started a 501c3 nonprofit called Diversified Dietetics, which our mission is to increase the diversity of the dietetics profession. So this um, recent change has allowed me to focus more on diversified dietetics and growing, growing our um, organization there, but then also to go back into entrepreneurship, which I feel like no matter where I've been, I've been entrepreneurial because everything... I have not had a job in the last several years that someone else had before me, which I like to tell people. Like every job I've had since for the last 10 years, I was the first person to do that job. So you have to be entrepreneurial when there's nobody, you know, who's in front of you doing that position. So yeah, that's kind of a high level of my journey and where I am today.
Love it. So much amazing experience. And every time you said a new job, I was like, oh my gosh, it's so exciting. (laughs) (laughs) And yes, shout out to Diversify Dietetics. I think I've mentioned it on this podcast before, but it's, I love that you have the, the monthly donor option. Um, for people. So shout out to anyone listening. You can sign up to be a monthly donor and then like consistently support that organization throughout the year, which I imagine is probably helpful. So you have some stable recurring (laughs) um, income to budget. But um, yeah. So, okay. Through all of that, now that you're transitioning, what are you leading into now? How are you going to be helping dietitians? Yeah. So once I transitioned out, you know, kind of got over, I think I was shocked for like a day that I was laid off. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm good. You know, this is actually really a blessing. Um, I was ready. I knew when I, I knew I was going to get back to being a full-time entrepreneur at some point. And I knew I wanted to create a couple of different avenues for me to really focus on my passion. So there's a brand I'm also working on that's consumer facing for black women in nutrition, but I knew I wanted to create something for dietitians as well um, to work with. And so I did something that I've never really done before is I invested in my business. And by that, I mean, invested in training for my business. So I hadn't really done this in the past. I like bootstrapped everything, figured it out. That's fine. I don't mind DIYing things, but I knew I wanted to also teach. So I told you, I love students. I love teaching. I absolutely adore it. I very much into pedagogy and adult learners and how they learn. And I knew that when I left the compass group that I wanted to get in back into teaching somehow, but I didn't want to go back to university. I'm like, I don't want to work in that, the politics of it and everything. I want to teach in a way that I want to do it. So I know online courses had become, become very popular lately Yes, they have. And so I, um, I decided to, I'm like, I know pedagogy, I understand curriculum, and I know uh, instructional design. I get that. But I don't know the marketing of online courses and, and all that. I just never, we didn't get trained like that in dietitian and everything. So I invested in a course. So I invested in Danielle Leslie's course. Um, so if you know Amy Porterfield, Danielle Leslie is the black millennial version of her, basically. And I am her target market. I looked at Amy Porterfield. Amazing. Yeah, she's great and everything, but that's to tell you about your niche. Like when I saw Danielle and went to her, like, uh, you know, her lead magnet webinar, which is fine. Uh, I was like, she looks like my cousin, like just everything about her vibe was just me. So I actually have, you know, I just picked up my credit card and paid and have never really done that. And so through the, the progression of her course, you go through kind of like a strengths finder exercise, if you will. Um, it's a worksheet that you go and you, she's trying to help you define your course topic. Um, and I thought my course topic was something totally different. I'm like, oh, I'm going to teach nonprofits how to create a sustainable nonprofit. Woohoo. Um, that's what I want to do. But I thought like, that's not really necessarily in the nutrition field because that's where I really wanted to focus my efforts to offer to dietitians. And so through the strengths finder, she asked a question that I thought was really insightful. What have people asked you um, advice for in the last week? What do people compliment you on? What do people say you do really well? So I had just given a talk at Fincy and I said, well, people, you know, say I'm a great public speaker. Uh, you know, my students always had great evaluations when I speak. I love public speaking. Um, people say that. And I then wrote, I love storytelling. I just wrote it out. And I said, the reason why I love speaking is I love telling stories. So I wrote that out. And I kind of looked back and I was like, I absolutely love storytelling. <laughs> it was just so interesting. I just kind of looked at it written down and I and I said to myself, Tamara, you, you love teaching everything, but you love to do everything wrapped up in a story. You like to put data in a story. In your talks, you give a story. When you talk about the chemical structure of carbohydrates, you put it into a story. Like, everything's in a story. And then I thought, you know, I really use that as a way to um, 
rally up the troops if I'm trying to recruit students to a program, to get people to donate to my nonprofit or to explain to donors what our nonprofit is doing. Or whatever it is I do, I really try hard to wrap it up in a story. I love storytelling podcasts. I listen to a podcast that's about creating storytelling podcasts. Like that's how into it I am. And that's where I settled in and I said, I do not really see in our space where storytelling is used as a tactic and a strategy to be able to, you know, find your target market, bring them in, get loyal customers, all the things that really strong storytelling does. And so that's when I settled upon, that's it. That's what I would like to bring to our dietetics community and fill that gap is to really go beyond storytelling because when people hear about it, they think public speaking and that's not what it is. It's any sort of communication, audio, visual, written, um, that can be used where you can wrap up a story in it. You can use it when you're working with clients or whatever. So, so that's what I settled in on. Um, and then quickly went out there on Instagram and grabbed the storytelling dietitian <laughs> and started, put, you know, set up shop and then started out from there. Yes. And I think you are so spot on. I have not seen anybody talking about storytelling. And I, I feel like it's one of those things where it's so effective when it's done right. And you almost don't even notice that it's happening. Like you just, you're just compelled to, to read something or keep engaging with something, but maybe you don't even realize that there is a strategy behind that and why that's working. So, uh, I'm excited to learn from you already your Instagram posts. I know it hasn't been around for that long, but I'm like, each one is so helpful and informative. So I'm like, yes, we need this as an industry. Okay. So let's dive into some of the kind of like actionable tips. So can you elaborate more on what storytelling means for businesses and entrepreneurs? So storytelling for businesses and entrepreneurs, I like to say, and you just, you actually articulated it really well. It's a way to get inside your customer's head, your client's head, whoever you're, tar whoever you're trying to get to buy your product or service, to get it into their head and to get them to trust you that way, when they're ready to purchase your product or service, they think of you first. It's, that's basically what it is when you boil it down. And so it's, a, it's marketing. It's, it's a marketing strategy, um, but it's not this very obvious like, hey, buy my product or hey, I think I'm great and you should come work with me. It's a way that you um, position yourself such that the client or the customer is a hero. So they're the hero. They're the, or this identifiable character is what some other storytelling experts say. Um, so you create this way so that they, as they hear you talking and they hear you expressing whatever your story is, they see themselves in your story. And if you can get someone to see themselves in the story that you're creating for them, you literally are getting into their head. And so it's using psychology. And so you'll see storytelling, and I'll, I'll use this brand because they, they're phenomenal at it, is Apple. So Apple is a really phenomenal brand who um, really does storytelling very well. You'll notice they most of their their um, uh, marketing that they do, you don't see the devices, right? You see people doing all the dancing and being creative and, and all these sorts of things. And the device is just kind of there to help them to get to that, um, to that goal of whatever the hero of the story wants to do. And I thought it was interesting in a, uh, a book that I read, um, and it's one that's really well known um, by Donald Miller about storytelling. And he said that Steve Jobs, you know, put out this, ad, like a nine page ad in New York Times selling like one of the early model Macs. And it talked about all the different features it had, probably like a floppy disk drive or whatever, because it was back in the day, right? So like, so nobody bought it, right? So it was a flop. So then he left Apple, he went to Pixar, storytellers, 
learned at Pixar, came back to Apple, completely transformed the company. And the ad that he ran said, think differently. That's all it said. And he learned how to center the client or the customer for them as the center of the story. So that's the strategy behind it is that you're creating um, a way that someone can really connect. And it closes a gap, especially in our profession, it's really helpful of them not understanding what you're offering, what you're talking about, what you're doing, because you're wrapping it up into this bow and this package of a story, which is a way that humans learn. Children, right, learn from stories. That's where we all started learning from. Um, people pass down oral histories through stories, and that's what we know. And so that's what it is. It's taking that storytelling on a broader sense that we've seen like really in like ancient like history and using it as a marketing strategy and stories are so memorable too i feel like they stick in your head so that's another benefit probably okay so if someone is uh maybe like an most of the people listening to this podcast are entrepreneurs or online entrepreneurs especially so in that context where could they be sprinkling in stories like in what parts of their business everywhere so everywhere, <laughs> and people are like kind of like, what do you mean? I mean, in your Instagram captions, in your Instagram stories, there's a reason why, right? You could be doing it in public speaking. The about page on your website should be a story, right? So that should be a story there. Um, one of my good arty friends, Jamie Schwartz Cohen told me she uses stories in her disclosure slide when she gives presentations anywhere you can be using a story to get across the information that you're trying to get across literally anywhere it can be in video it could be on podcasts uh anywhere yeah and I, I do think it's just like a something you have to learn like it's like a shift like a light bulb goes off and then once you're aware of it you're like oh okay like stop i don't know about you but for me my brain's very like analytical so i start typing something super boring sometimes and then i'm like no no brain <laughs> <laughs> about it right. yeah <laughs> Um, so what, what are like the benefits of doing this? What are the positive outcomes that it can help people achieve in their businesses? Yeah. So it closes that gap much more quickly, right? With, so we, we all know we're, we're trying to get as much as we're trying to help people. We're entrepreneurs. We're trying to get somebody to buy our product or our service. That takes a lot, right? It takes a, a lot to, for them to decide, you know, I'm going to work with you one as a dietitian versus somebody who's not. And then even in our profession, you as a dietitian versus your colleagues over them. And so your benefit is that you're closing that gap because you're creating a sense of trust because the person who's listening to your story knows that you understand that person. And that's what you're trying to close that gap without overtly saying, I'm the best. I have all these credentials and everything. You're giving them a story to say, you know, I understand how every Sunday night is like your last hurrah because every Monday morning you're getting ready to start that final diet and it's so depressing, but you do it and you kind of power through the day and you have that salad and you get to the end of the day. And by Tuesday, you're eating pizza, Oreos, beer, and all the things. And then you feel like crap. And then Wednesday is down, it's all downhill from there. And are you tired of that? Well, that's telling them diets don't work, but in a story. That closes the gap. They can see themselves standing in the kitchen. They know what it's like to be there on Monday morning ready to go, but by Wednesday, everything's all out the window. And that's what you're doing is you're closing the gap there. And so when it's time for them to think about who do I wanna work with, when it's time for me to look for this product or service, they will hopefully think of you first. And it also can help when you're working, let's say one-on-one -on -one with clients, absolutely if you're doing a sort of online course or group coaching, you should absolutely be using stories to teach people in. And it just helps people to understand things, your concepts that you're, you're explaining to them a lot better.
Yeah, I, I'm in um, Caitlin Batcher's Scale of Success program right now, and I've been totally revamping my. All, it's not out yet, but I've been I've redone my entire sales page, and now it, it's exactly what you're talking about. Like, oh my gosh, I look back at my current sales page, and I'm like, oh, like, why did anyone <laughs> buy this? Like, <laughs> it's so much better, and just like you said, all these stories and examples and getting into people's heads, it's so much more effective, I think. So, why do you think, in general, though, uh, that people in like dietitians have trouble telling stories or it's not, it doesn't come naturally. <laughs> We're not trained in it. I think it's kind of this reoccurring thing that we don't get marketing. And there's a lot that, you know, somebody coming from academia who works with the sin, there's a lot to get in, in the four to six years of education that we have. So the fact that marketing is not in there, except for you know a few programs is very understandable. Um, but even after we get out of that, it's just not something I think that's really talked about. And I think honestly, for our profession, because we're so inwardly focused, right? We like to learn from each other. And here I am talking about creating something for dietitians that we learn from each other, but we, a, a lot of us, not everybody, but a lot of us like to just learn from other dietitians. And so we're this echo chamber of the same concepts and the same ideas, and we don't really go outside. And so there are other industries that have like, oh, we need to do storytelling. But when you don't go and like talk to somebody else, we're not hearing it within our industry. So I think there's this, those couple of things going on. We just don't have it in our training overall. And then we tend to be very inwardly focused in our resources that we get to, to kind of train ourselves and, and growing our businesses and things like that. I also feel like since we're kind of like a science-based uh, field, <laughs> I see it so often where people are like, uh, there's 25% of your vitamin K yeah. and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like, no right. cares. Nobody cares. Yeah. yeah. There's so many things that we talk about that the public does not care about. Well, okay. So let's get even deeper into what stories are. So is there like a framework that people can use? Is there, are there certain elements of a story that make it good and eye-catching? So there's different frameworks. It depends on who the storytelling expert that you go to. Um, the one that I like, um, so I've read Donald Miller's book and he talks about uh, storytelling for branding or something. I'm totally murdering that, but it's a very well-known book. And he has a podcast, which is really great, Story Brand or something like that. But I stumbled upon a book recently by a woman named Kendra Hall. And she talks about storytelling. And so I really like the way that she breaks it down because it's it's much more simple. So she talks about every story should have a relatable character, not necessarily a hero, but a relatable character. It should have specific details. And those specific details are what your listener helps your listener or your viewer to form this in their head. So you give specific, you know, like the example I gave earlier, standing in your kitchen, you know, Oreos, pizza, beer, those sorts of things are specific details authentic emotions so people can feel the frustration or the excitement or the fear or the anxiety or whatever it is and then some significant moment which in, in storytelling you have to have some sort of a climax there's always something because that's what gets your listeners to kind of follow they want to see how it ends and if there's no tension and there's nothing there that really gives you any sort of tension we don't tend to watch it's just another day going by that's kind of going on so it has to be something that has those moments so i love the way that kendra hall packages it and kind of creates that that framework for stories um you know that like i said there's other frameworks that are out there but i feel like that that one is i find to be more applicable in a lot of different types of stories and i've talked about this before on the podcast like understanding your ideal customer and all that doing that type of work is that helpful for getting the details absolutely so it's critical um so you have to know 
and this should be any entrepreneur, this should be front and center, what problem are you solving for them? So not only the ideal customer, so that's great, whatever. You might think you wanna know who you're working with, but if you're not solving a problem for them, they are not going to be paying for whatever it is that you're, you're offering them, because what do they need it for? Um, so you have to think about what their problem is, what affects them, and then those having that ideal customer in mind helps you to figure out those specific details, right? So what is it that they, where do they live? What do they look like? What's the climate like? You know, how much money do they make? Who are their friends? Do they have kids? All those sorts of things are those details that you would sprinkle in. So you want to know who that ideal customer is, and you should know for your business, what are you, what problem are you solving? So you can center and have those details in every story that you create for them. Do you have any recommended kind of like workflow? I'm just imagining someone listening and they're like, yay, this sounds great. And then they like open up Instagram and they're like, uh, <laughs> I have no idea what to write. So somebody messaged me the other day and she said like, should every post that I do be a story? And I said, no, like it's, it's, you don't have to do it all the time. Um, informational posts are sometimes, you know, necessary, um, but there could be a story in the infographic like that you put in there. So I kind of was like, maybe you could put it in there. But if you're thinking about it, start from that you should hopefully have your ideal customer right in your mind but think about what with this communication that i'm creating what's the problem that i'm trying to address and then show them that i can solve right because that's what you're trying to do craft your story around that so whatever that problem is that's the you know that's the the struggle that's going on that's the tension in there and you're trying to figure out and it doesn't have to be let's say you're somebody who works with um, clients who have diabetes. So you might think, well, that's their problem. There's a lot of more problems underneath that, you know, managing my blood glucose, um, you know, figuring out what to eat when I travel, um, the finger pricks that I have to do, all these sorts of things they may have, neuropathy that, neuropathy that I'm worried about, all these sorts. So you have all these subsets of problems that you can create all this content. So when you start thinking of it that way, and then put your creative writing hat on, go back to third grade, the sky is the limit at that point. Because when you look at it from that perspective, you're really showing them, I can, I can touch on all these problems. But when you start to do that, and if you have followers who are watching you over time, over and over again, you're saying to them, she he or she understands me, you understand me, you get me, you get me. Because over and over again, you're telling them in detail, I get all these little pieces of you, and I can really address that problem. So that's what you're thinking of. What's the problem I'm trying to solve? That's the overarching problem. And there's all these different little problems underneath there that you also help solve them too. Mm, that's really good advice. Do you keep like a journal or something or just like a giant brain dump of everything you could post about? Absolutely. I would say sit down, do a brain dump or think about, you know, your past clients as you work with them and you, you're going about your day. Um, if you work in the media, what are the questions that they ask you about? Those sorts of things. And I like to use my phone and talk into it and transcribe because it's faster. Um, but if you're a person who likes to write, write it down. But initially, if you're trying to come up with content, if you want to like batch content and create it, do a brain dump. Think about your clients. What have you talked about to your clients in the last week or month? What challenges have they had? Uh, go like nitty gritty. Go to the things that hurt them the most, that excited them the most, that evoked the most emotion. That's what you're trying to get at, is getting to their emotion. And that's what you wanna be talking about. And then how did you help them to solve that? How did you make a difference in helping them, especially if they went to somebody else in the past, they tried on their own and they weren't successful. You want to hone in on how you did that. Really great advice. I know I don't post, I, like, I hardly ever post on Instagram. So this is like on my to-do list. So I'm like, okay, mental notes. <laughs> uh, but then I imagine you can, start to see patterns, I would guess, like what posts are performing best, and then you can further hone your strategy. 
uh, I've seen people talk about that before where they, they look back at what performs the best in a certain time frame and then what performed the worst. And nine times out of 10, the one that performed the best is some sort of story related post. And then the one that didn't is like some weird fact with nothing else right. or something like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You'll get like a lot of, um, in the comment section, like they'll just start, Oh, this is, and that's so rich because we want to be social on social media. And so when they're, when they like it, we're like, thanks. But when you get them in the comment section and start talking back and forth and like, I had that happen to me too, or that's exactly what's going on with my sister or something. And you can talk back to them. Then you start to build a trust with them because they, they're having this conversation with you. And so I think, you know, really eliciting people, we know how hard, especially like on Instagram is to even get eyes on your posts because the algorithm, if you can get them to engage and like respond back, because you have really done something for them to take that time to, to do that. Yeah. And I'm, I, again, I'm not like super into Instagram, but I believe if they engage with you then like DM you even, or comment on your stuff, then it's just more likely that your post will show up in their feed later. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and then I had a question about storytelling. When I first think of storytelling, for some reason, my brain goes to like personal stories um, and kind of like sharing your story or whatever. Is that important as well? That's probably the least amount of stories you want to tell. Yeah. <laughs> because remember that you're trying to solve the problem for your clients. I'm glad you brought that up because when I first started my storytelling dietitian account, people were like, oh, I don't want to share my story and everything. So I said, don't, <laughs> don't share your story. And then I mentioned about sharing client stories and somebody was like, well, you need to make sure you ask for permission. I'm like, you can, I understand. Yes, that's a given. You want to ask for permission, but you also can create a client up in your head. Just people don't know if this person's real or not. Like you're creating up a story, like really get creative. You guys like go back to third grade and know that you're creating something. But the less that you talk about yourself, they're not coming there to be like you. They're coming there for you to help them. They might be attracted to you because you're similar to them, right? They might like that about you, but you are gonna be able to attract, if you craft a story for somebody who's exact opposite of you, you can attract that person to you because they start to see themselves in your story. So that's probably your own story on your about page and your website. Even when you talk about yourself, it still should very quickly turn back into a story of how you wanted to work with that type of client and help them with their life and how you got to that point. And so our own stories should be the ones that we tell the, the least. Great advice. Yeah. I, I feel like as I'm learning more about selling and the frameworks and stuff, I, my impression is if your own story relates to what you're teaching, maybe it can be tied in a little more easily, but not everybody has their own personal journey related to what problems they solve for other people either. So probably depends as well. <laughs> and I think that also reduces the pressure and feeling if you, let's say you're working with a group of um, clients who have a condition that you don't have and then people feel like, Oh, I don't, I don't relate. Well, that's, that's okay. I mean, people go to an OB who's a man who does not have the ability to have a baby, but it's, he's able to practice, right? So you can do the same thing, right? You're able to practice and be relatable to them. And I, I remember getting, um, an email. I don't remember who sent this, but it's obviously it's stuck in my head, <laughs> but they did, like you were saying about making up stories, they sent out an email and it was like, who are you? Like Karen or well, maybe yeah. not Karen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not her. You're like, I'm not her. <laughs> 
<laughs> Sally or Katie or something. And then they put out this, the comparison of like, this is Sally and like all the struggles she was going through. And then Katie was like the one who'd solved everything kind of. And then that was super effective trying to get you to envision like where you are now versus maybe where you want to be. I thought that was innovative. Yeah. And the, okay. So focusing on stories about how you can help the other person versus your own stories, which mm -hmm. I agree takes away some of that fear. If some people feel like I can't tell my story because I'm, I'm too private or I don't know. I even sometimes think people feel like, oh, it's crossing a professional boundary or something weird. I don't personally feel like that, but <laughs> yeah, I think that people, they, you know, there's some, there's definitely some level of relatability you want to have with your clients. And so telling a story, you know, if you were, I think it is helpful to have something like that. And that just goes back to clients wanting to work with somebody who is like them, but they do, they want to be the hero, hero of the story. And if you're talking about yourself, you're the hero. So that's the thing. You always want them to be the hero and make themselves feel like that. That's why I said, even if you talk about yourself, you then turn the story back to them and how you wanted to help them because that because makes them the hero of the story. Another side question. What if you don't have any stories yet? Like what if you're new and you don't have a whole bank of people that you've helped yet? <laughs> what, what suggestions do you have then? Yeah. If you're new, let's say you're a new dietitian and you, you went through a dietetic internship, you saw clients and patients there. So take even bits and pieces of them and make up a story. You can know what it is that there's themes across, you know, when you start working with the same groups, um, there's themes across, that's what makes it specialized. And so you can start to truly make it up and you don't have to tell people, you don't have to act like it is a client or a patient that you worked with. You can be very honest and say, you know, can you relate to this and then create a story from there? Yeah. I think that drives on the point that a story is not necessarily like a testimonial. <laughs> Could you maybe elaborate on the difference? Yes. Yeah, so back to Kendra Hall's book, she has this, um, she talks about four different stories and one of them is a customer story. She talks about how powerful that story is because it's trustworthy. So testimonials can, we know what we do. We like, hey, can you give me a testimonial? And they're like, oh, it's Margaret, great service. And she was prompt and on time and da, da, da. Versus them explaining, you know, what their life was like before they met me. Let's say if I was the dietitian they were working with, what they were struggling with. Once they came and worked with me, boy, now I'm able to travel with my family, have a baby, whatever that is. So testimonials are different than stories, but it brings a trust factor in to potential clients um, who you might want to work with because they can see themselves in that other customer or client of yours. And they really trust that that person is saying it's true because there's so many details in there, right? You, not that we're, this is just for teaching purposes. Not that we're saying that you're lying, but they say some of the best liars are people who have details in there because it just really throws you off because you're thinking like, well, if they have that detail, it has to be true. So the same thing goes with storytelling. The movies that we like the best, the books that we like to read have those details in it. So that it's a very, very different thing to ask people for a testimonial versus a story and asking them to do that. So um, I know I'm plugging, I get no kickbacks from Kendra Hall's book, but it's a really, really good resource. And she explains how to create on your website, how to elicit those from your, or an email that you send out, how to elicit that and create a framework without realizing it's a framework for your clients to be able to have them craft a story instead of writing just a testimonial. 
Yes. I feel like I accidentally did that because I, I, <laughs> I found myself in the same position. I don't work with clients anymore, but back when I did, you're so right. If you ask someone for a testimonial, it ends up being this really bland, like, not exciting thing. <laughs> so I actually did that because I was frustrated on like kind of what people were sending me back. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to put this on my website. This is not convincing. <laughs> so, so then I changed it and I was like, suggested format. Like, And then I said, what was your life like before we yes. started working together? What is it like now? Um, would you recommend this to other people? Something like that. And then I could t- take each each section and mushed together and it was some more of a cohesive story. And I actually think I put that up on, I I don't know if you're familiar with RD to RD. Mm -hmm. I talk about it on this podcast a lot, but it's like a free website for where, or not free, but they have some free resources Mm -hmm. and some paid resources to download stuff that dietitians have made. I think I put that up on there for free. I'll put the link in the show notes. Yeah even though I'm not using it anymore. I'm sure Kendra Halls is probably way more like. It's pretty much the same thing now. I mean, you're, 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 you're spot on. That's basically what she was saying too. Mm-hmm. So I'll put a link to her uh, resources and book and everything in the show notes too. If anyone listening, just go to my website, unconventionalrd.com um, and click on the podcast and find this episode and all the, the links to everything will be there. Yeah. I, I think that's such a common trap though. The, 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 the not quite great testimonial. Right. You're like, or they all start to sound the same. Oh, she was great. Oh, I loved it. And so it's not really, it's not, it's not serving your purpose. Not that you don't want to hear back from your clients and you do want to do a great job, but there's a reason why you're asking them for this. So help them along, craft them and then ask. I think some people don't ask either. Um, so have a, a habit of asking so that you can constantly, you know, have that that kind of in your your coffer, if you will, and can bring those stories out. Yeah, I actually, for my courses, they're all approved for continuing education units. And so they have to kind of pass this quiz to get to auto-generate the certificate. And then now CDR has implemented some other layer of questions that people have to answer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. I just experienced that, yes. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. So you have to get like feedback. So what I did was I just added on to the, the set questions that they make you ask. And then I put in some more like testimonial type related questions. So then if someone wants to get the CEUs, they like have to fill out the feedback. <laughs> and then I, and one of them is like, do you give me permission to share this, blah, blah, blah. And so that's been a great source that's sort of automated as well. I don't have to like constantly ask. Right. So I'm sure that people could take that and work it into their workflow probably. Okay. So let's bring it back to like the quantifiable benefits. So what types of metrics or um, things should people be looking at to see if their storytelling is working? Like what positive outcomes should they be measuring? Yeah. So I'd say if you're giving your storytelling, first of all, know what your goal is of your story. Um, If you're a public speaker or you're somebody who wants to get asked to come on podcasts or whatever, see how many of those that you book, right? Check out the evaluations and see what the feedback is from the evaluations. And, and for public speaking specifically, I would say, um, don't just ask people like, hey, you know, did you think I was, the speaker was good or whatever those like kind of canned questions are, but ask them, know what your goal of your talk was and ask them what's the, what, what was the most, what was most helpful for you that you can use in your daily life? And if they answer basically what your goal was, you did a good job in that talk, right? So you're trying to get that from them. Um, if you're using it to convert, so you want to be able to attract clients, um, or customers um, track that that story that you sent out there and whatever that marketing was and see if it attracts a client. Now, here's the thing. It's not going to necessarily convert them right away because you're telling them stories over and over again. You have to have more than one touch with them. But does that make them start to engage with you? 
on Instagram, click on your email, click through the links, whatever that is. So you can get that hard data to see if that actually starts to get them to interact with you. And then if you can follow the life cycle of your actual client to see if that converts, that's really powerful. So if you have that messaging video, a post or something like that, and you can follow that person through, that's another way of tracking to see if your stories are effective. And I mentioned the comments, you know, the comments that you get back from people. So if you're using social media, Facebook, or I've never actually literally been on TikTok, but I don't know if there's a way to, feed, to get feedback from people, but TikTok or something like that. But if there's a way that you can see if people react to it, like you said, if they DM you, if they put comments in there, if they start to just really start to speak to you now, I think that's powerful data to have as well to see if they're, because what your goal of your story is, you're building trust. So the goal of the story is you're building trust and you're starting to get inside that client or customer's head and then you're going to be able to convert them when they're ready to purchase your product. Because we have to remember, there's a long game in this, right? We think, oh, you know, I'm talking about nutrition and everything, and somebody should want to work with me. They're going to work with us when they have a problem. So you want to be the person that they think of when they have that problem. So if you're measuring that, then that should be able to um, see like, okay, this was effective or it wasn't. Um, there's other, there's those, those kind of metrics that you can use on anything that I'm selling, I always put a box like, where did you hear about us? Mm -hmm. And that's so helpful. Cause even if you, you know, it doesn't tell you maybe necessarily like what they clicked on to then buy, which is another type of metric you could measure, but at least it tells you where you're capturing people's attention and where they're connecting with you. So for me, it's mostly Facebook right now. Cause that's where I spend most of my time. But, um, it's the podcast is starting to tick up. Like at first it was like one person <laughs> and now, yeah, now it's a few more. Right. <laughs> yeah. So that's nice to see as well. I don't know. I, I want to ask you about your favorite resources for storytelling, but I heard you mention at the beginning of the podcast as well, some suggestions for presenting data yes. with stories. Can we touch oh on that? Goodness. So this is a data nerd in me coming out. And I actually learned this about myself when I was at Duke. And so I went through, it was a summer. Pro, it was a summer class that I was taking. It's called data analytics. And I thought before I went into the program that I love data analytics. And I had a one-year-old and a two-year-old at the time. I have never cried so much in graduate school. Like I was just like, this is really hard. I was a program director, new mom, all the things. And so I was getting to the point to where I had to um, decide on a practicum to do like a capstone project at the end. And so I said to my faculty advisor, I thought I liked data analytics. She said, you like data and people you like helping people use data meaningfully. And I was like, you're right. I do like people a lot. I don't like the analysis side. And so that's when I learned about data storytelling. There is a book called Storytelling for Data. It is like my Bible. It's, a, it's a, for data visualizations. It goes into the psychology again of people who are consuming data and how humans like to receive data when it's visualized for them. Um, the uh, writer of that book, whose name is escaping me right now, but she um, has a blog as well that's super helpful. It has a ton of resources. It's really, really active. There's a whole data viz community out there of people. And these are people working in all sorts of positions because the idea is that you are using your data to support your story. And we as a profession, as you mentioned, are very evidence-based. We present a lot of data. A lot of it's really bad. <laughs> it's just not that good it's way too much text there's all sorts of pie charts and line graphs and 3d images and all sorts of things and you can't it couldn't stand on its own like if you were to put it out there nobody would really know what it says um, but data is really really helpful especially when you're giving 
um, talks to peers or you're giving presentations, you're trying to get an investor or whatever, but you want to make sure that the data supports your story. What kind of data are you presenting? How are you presenting it? And so there's this whole subset that I really started getting into and really studying and using in practice around data storytelling because I just found like in our profession, we do that a lot. Um, we were using data to support our stories um, and you want it to support it and not distract from, from the stories. And so that is, that is a whole nother world. I think that is not really talked about in our profession that much, um, but it's a skill that's acquired, takes practice, but once you get into it, you start to learn. And let me tell you, people are like, oh, do I have to go and get fancy software? I do everything in Excel, everything. There's no fancy software that you have to use. Do you have an example maybe to flush that out? Like what would not great data presentation look like versus what would be a way to, to do it better? So I actually just did an example, like a before and after on my Instagram. So I saved it in the highlights. You can look under data viz. Um, but what I did is I took um, CDRs numbers on, um, because of, of what I work in, it was the, um, the breakdown of race and ethnicity of dietitians. So if you go on their website, they have like a, a line graph. Um, it's okay, right? It's, it's, but it's hard to read. I would imagine that somebody in their talk was like, oh, let me just skip that and, and blow it up. But you can't really read it. It doesn't say anything, right? So then I did version two of it, um, which had a little bit more uh, directional cues. There were some numbers. Um, I put the numbers of dietitians next to the, so if it was white dietitians, I put that number right there because you want the eye to not have to move all over the page to see the data that is um, that it's supporting. Um, and so that was okay, right? That was fine. But on its own, depending on the talk that I'm giving, it's probably about how there's not that much diversity in our profession, but it may not be. You can't really look at that viz on its own and know what it says. So the third iteration of this, which I just did recently before this post, is that I put a headline and said, the diversity of the dietetics profession does not mirror the U.S. population or something like that. And I added in U.S. census data, right? Because you need to know what the the U.S. population is and what that looks like versus what RDs look like. And so that's on there. And so you can see how that headline lets people know this is what this is, this is what this data is supporting, this statement right here. And you kind of go through it. So for us to be listening and not looking at it, hopefully that helps you to see it. But you can absolutely go to my Storytelling Dietitian Instagram and, and click on that highlight for data viz and you'll see that example of those three different versions. The psychology of learning is so interesting. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I'm following closely because I know I'm sort of teaching other rand like SEO and stuff like that. So it's not, I'm not really doing nutrition related stuff either, but every year I'm like, how could I make this better? You know, how could I make this more clear or easy to follow or less overwhelming? Right. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm always looking for new tips on that type of stuff. In terms of resources, I know we talked about Kendra Hall. Um, we talked about Donald Miller's book. The was it Danielle Leslie. Is that so? Danielle was? Leslie is who's um, I'm purchased her course. Yeah, so she teaches about online courses and she gets into instructional design. She actually spent five years at Udemy um, because oh, she cool. started. I went to high school with the guy, one of the co-founders. Oh wow! Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So she... he's not in it anymore. He got yeah. kicked out. Okay. But... <laughs> As it goes, right, with startups. But, um, but yeah, so she went, she was a, um, a failed startup founder, which is the best people to be around, honestly, if they keep on going because they know so much. Um, she was trying to launch, I think, like an online course or something like that. And so when it failed, 
she said, I need to go back and learn this. So she went and learned for five years and then she went back out and now she's doing really, really well. But um, that's Danielle Leslie. So I highly recommend, I know Amy Porterfield folks love her and she is great, but I really, really like um, Danielle Leslie. You learn a lot, a ton about marketing, especially if you're somebody who likes Instagram and using that as marketing, she utilizes that quite a bit. So any other recommendations? Um, so I mentioned the podcast about storytelling podcast. I love this podcast. It's called Three Clips. I fangirled out on this thing so much. I found the guy on Instagram <laughs> and I DM'd him. I was like, oh my gosh, I love your podcast. But he really, he's a, it's called, he owns a company called Marketing Showrunners. And so he does workshops for creators who are creating their own podcasts and really teaches, they break down what makes a good podcast i mean they like break it all the way down like the transitions and the music and how to create a story out of something that seems like it's just mundane and how do you get the listeners to the end that's their gold star like how do you get the listener to the end so i would suggest if you're somebody who has a podcast i'm waiting for some dietitian to create a storytelling podcast because i don't think that we have it yet and this is if you're not familiar with it um, this american life is the most well-known storytelling the reason why they are so engaging they're storytellers and that's what they're doing so and outside of that you know um, i mentioned about the data storytelling book as well for me i've kind of like piecemealed everything else that i learned <laughs> through the internet like i've just gone out there and looked outside um, those are just some books that I've, I've read recently and so for myself i have been writing i went to arts high school and so i was a creative writing major so i learned like writing at the the very basics of it so sometimes even Learning about writing is really important because any storytelling starts with a script. Every story, a video, um, verbal, anything like that starts with a script. So if you really want to get into the nitty gritty of it, creative writing workshops are helpful. And you'll notice I'm not saying Toastmasters. So you're like, oh yeah, just go to Toastmasters or something. I'm not mentioning that because I'm talking about something different, which is writing first and then from there. So that's that I think understanding the elements of really good writing um, is really helpful too. It feels like all the pieces of your past experiences are kind of coming together with this current endeavor. It's really cool. Uh, okay, so let's close off this episode today. Do you have like three key pieces of advice that you would really like people to take away from this podcast? Like what are three things maybe that they should do after listening to this? So first thing I would say is keep the problem in mind. So you want to lead with that. So what are you, what problem are you solving both in your business and in your storytelling? So keep that in mind. Um, do find some sort of framework that works for you and works for your audience. So I mentioned a couple of ones. I'm sure somebody's gonna at me and be like, somebody else says this. I'm sure they do. Um, but find one that works for you and use that framework and test it on your audience and measure the data and see what, what resonates and what doesn't. And then once it does, it gets a lot easier. Just keep using that same formula. And because I know my fellow dietitians, my last one is do not overthink it, y'all. Don't overthink it. This is the same thing as you hearing stories as a child, as you reading stories to your little cousins or your own kids. This is not something that you have to overthink. It is something that comes with practice. So give yourself some time to see what works and what doesn't. You will absolutely get it. Totally. Like step away from the analysis paralysis. <laughs> yes. And just put it out there, you know, put it out there and see there's this thing in tech space, which is one thing I learned about failing fast, put it out there, see what works, what didn't iterate, iterate, iterate. That's how you start to grow very quickly. And I tell, I wish more RDs would do that as well. Yeah. And I feel like if you 
overthink it, it's probably going to come off maybe a little robotic, like trying to hit the formula, you know? So yeah, balance. And I know you mentioned too, getting feedback, even like surveying your audience. I try to do an annual survey, not specifically about storytelling, but I'm sure you could like weave in those types of questions to see how it's, how it's connecting. Do you have anything up and coming um, that people could maybe check out to get more help with this? Yes. So I am working on my website. I like to build websites too in my spare time. So I'm working on my website, which will be tomorrowmelton.com. And it's going to have resources for dietitians. Uh, I just recently accidentally launched a new service because someone asked me, several people have asked me about doing storytelling audits for their presentations that they're giving for their websites and things like that. So I'm really building that out to offer that. And I mentioned that I was building a course. So I wanted to create a course and it actually expands a little bit just from storytelling. I saw also there was, um, by talking to my ideal clients, there's kind of a gap in the kind of B2B RD space that talks about strategy, starting a startup. Like how do you start a startup? And I love, I've talked about it. I love starting startups. I did one at a university. I did a nonprofit. I love starting startups that are in the black from the get-go. That is my goal, making money and helping people but also making money. And so I will be um, in this course and probably at the time that people are listening to this, we'll be up and going on my beta course um, for my first group and cohort coming through, but really teaching how to use storytelling for startups because I see in our space, there are startups and side hustlers who are exhausted, overwhelmed by all the things. And I think it's because folks need a little bit more help with that strategy part and really getting that foundation that will really allow them to grow no matter if they're full-time or side hustlers and everything. So, so my course, which at this time is yet unnamed, um, will also be offered, but you can find everything at tamaramelton.com. Perfect. Yeah, I totally agree. I feel like shiny object syndrome is real in our industry and can kind of slow people down, yes. <laughs> um, getting distracted by too many things. So yeah, I think that handholding and the, the like, just focus on this, <laughs> be consistent. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but I think also I love that you're kind of like a serial entrepreneur. I relate to that. So hard. it's like, it's so fun, like getting it all set up. And then you're like, all right, now it's kind of boring yeah. now that it's done. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I did that. Like, Check. Moving on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like there's totally like different types of entrepreneurs and that, that type is like, you get all the excitement out of like the new thing and you watching it grow, you know, it's so much fun. Anywhere else that people should go to check you out? Like where, what social media handle are you most active on? So for, um, for storytelling, um, Instagram. So the storytelling dietitian can find me there. Um, and like I mentioned, my, my website. So I'm heavy on Instagram. I'm on, I mean, you'll find me in Erica's group on Facebook. I'm there too, hanging out. But um, Instagram's my thing. I thought about doing a Facebook group, but you know, just like you said, you got to do what works for you. And IG for me is is what works for me right now. Um, I'll have that group for my for my folks who are in my course. Um, but yeah, I like IG and the way I can kind of connect with people. So that's where you can find me at. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here today. I know people are going to love this episode. Thanks for all those actionable tips. Thank you. As always, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I know I had a lot of fun with this conversation. And just a heads up, I will be opening enrollment to my SEO Made Simple course in just a few weeks. So stay tuned for more information on that. 
This is the course where I teach you my four-step framework to getting more visitors to your website so that you can stop publishing to crickets and start getting thousands of people coming to your site every single month, which can then be leveraged to earn things like ad revenue, affiliate income, brand work, selling digital goods, offering courses or memberships, or even booking more one-on-one clients. And I've poured everything into revamping and updating this course for 2021, and I am so freaking excited to share it with you all. So in a few weeks, I will be inviting you to join me on a free webinar if you want to learn more. So be on the lookout here and in my Facebook group, The Unconventional RD Community on Facebook, for more information about how to join that webinar and everything about the SEO Made Simple course. Looking forward to it, and I'll see you next week.